I don't know if you've noticed, and we're, we're talking about confession this, uh, this series of three weeks. I don't know if you've noticed that we live in a society nowadays where nobody wants to take the blame for anything. Um, here's a little cartoon from, um, I don't know if you can see that. This is a typical family gathering around a table where someone's asking about who's kicked the table. And of course, nobody has. It's mysterious. happens in families all the time. Nobody's to blame. Have you ever heard one of your children own up and say that they did it? It doesn't happen. It starts with children and it grows up through adulthood. Just the other day, Lois and I were walking um, in the garden. It was uh, one evening, and uh, we were just walking along, and there was a very nice fox club that was looking completely manged, mangled. And she said, oh, gosh, I wonder what's happened to that. And there was a slight pause and a quietness, and I said, the lawnmower did it. <laughs> and I realized that wasn't a very good answer, really, because I was, I was pushing the lawnmower. So I said, actually, I did it. The lawnmower got out of control. But how quick we are to make sure somebody else is to blame or something else is to blame. So it makes confession quite difficult because if we can't admit any problems in ourselves, we don't ever recognize that we are the source of the problem. We're not likely to get into confession and therefore we're not likely to get into freedom. I love the story of the small boy in America who lived out on a farm and, and their toilet basically was, they had a river at the end of their garden and they had a toilet which their dad had made and it was attached to a jetty over, over this river. So that's where you went to the loo. And it was tied onto the jetty. And one day the, the toilet was found floating several miles down the river. And the father came to the boy and he said, did you cut that, the toilet free? And the son said this, Father, he said, I cannot lie, I cannot lie. I did cut it and set it free. And the father took off his belt and whipped the boy to the end of his life. And the young man, when he recovered from this, turned to the father and said, I don't understand. You brought me up on the story of, uh, of, of uh, George Washington. George Washington, uh, his father, gave him a hatchet. And uh, George Washington's father had grown a cherry tree, and George Washington took his hatchet and chopped the tree down. And George Washington's father came to him one day and said, Son, George, did you cut this tree down? And George Washington said, I can't tell a lie, Father. I can't tell a lie. I took my hatchet to the tree. And the father said, Son, one day you will be a great man. If you're honest as that, you will be a great man. So this boy says to his father, That's the story you taught me. How come you whip me? And poor George Washington got off free. And the father said, the difference between George Washington and you is George Washington's father was not in the tree when he cut it down. <laughs> and um, so this is the story of confession. Um, one of the great writers of book, books on discipleship uh, has written this. Confession is one of the most powerful of the disciplines in our spiritual life. That's a quote from Dallas Willard. And uh, we're looking over this whole year, we've been looking at living life well. How do we get the most out of life? And we've looked at a series of disciplines. Nobody likes discipline, do they? But things that you put into your life that will help you to live your life well. So we've learned all these things that we can do, very simple things. And Dallas Willard here is saying one of the most important things to do, if you want to live your life well, is to put confession into your life. He went on to say, it is good for the soul and bad for the reputation. Now, the word confession comes from the Greek, two words in Greek, homo and logio. The homo bit means the same. Logio means is the word or the spoken word, logic. And we get um, the word log, we take the word logos in the New Testament for the word. So it means said again, something that is said for the second time. In other words, it's something that is in your heart, it's spoken there, and you speak it out, and it comes out for the second time. That which is secret 
becomes open. That which is hidden becomes exposed. In other words, let me give you another example. When this uh, picture is up on the screen, it's because when Malcolm put the computer on this morning, he could see this picture on his computer. Then there's a thing he has to click, which says, uh, I forget what it says, mirroring or dual screen. And when he clicked on that, it comes up here. So that which was secret on that screen is now exposed on this screen. That's what confession is, taking something that is the same and speaking it out. A wedding is a good example of that. Some of you will have seen this wedding was on two weeks ago between Lady Gabriella Windsor and uh, Tom Kingston at Windsor Castle. So a wedding is just like that. By the way, here's two of the guests who were at the wedding who look pretty impressive, don't you think? That's why I'm showing this particular picture. But a wedding is exactly the same. Two people who fall in love, they confess to one another, and then they publicly make a confession. They speak it out. And that's what marriage is. It's a confession of their love and commitment um, to one another. It's the saying the same thing. A part of our salvation, we're told in the New Testament, comes because of confession. In the book of Romans, Paul tells us two things you need to be, to, to be saved. First, if you have to believe something, but that's not enough. You have to believe that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So when you believe that... It helps you to understand who Jesus was, why he came, and the validity of the cross, and the future resurrection for us. So it's very important, if you're going to become a Christian, to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. But he says that is not just enough, because the devil believes, and he's not a Christian as far as we know. So that's another thing you have to do, is to believe in something in your heart, then you confess it with your lips. You say the same thing, but outwardly. You have to be able to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the Lord of my life. You make a public confession. And of course, baptism is the great public confession for Christians. They believe something in their heart, and when they go to baptism, they are confessing it with their lips. They're speaking it out. So that's what confession is all about. Uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, I think Judy will have spoken to you from the passage in John's, John's epistle, 1 John, and the, and the uh, latter part of that, uh, first part of the chapter, where uh, John is writing to the Christians to, to tell them about what it means to walk in the light. Walking in the light means to walk openly. You know, if, you, if your house is a bit of a mess, you don't want anybody to see it, you turn the lights out. But if you have all the lights out on, everybody can see. And he's saying, if you want to live your life completely open and clean so that you're sort of exposed before people, then you need to be able to bring your sin, the things you've done wrong, out to God. He says this, in fact, in chapter 2 of 1 John, he says this, I'm writing this to you, little children, that you do not sin. But if you sin, there's an advocate with the Father. In other words, he's saying, God doesn't want you to ever do anything wrong. That's the expectation. You will live your life without doing anything wrong in your life. But then he says, actually, you probably will do some things wrong. But here's the good news. Now, if you confess your sin, if you speak it out and say, yes, that's what I've done, good news is that you can be forgiven and cleansed. That's the incredible thing about confession. It exposes you to the possibility of being forgiven by God and cleansed inside. Forgiven is dealt with. Cleansed means something changes inside you. I don't know if you two weeks ago um, would have noticed that uh, the Eurovision Song Contest was on. And uh, we came last, as usual. And we're not very liked by some Europeans, I don't think. But uh, some of you will know that in the interval, Madonna came and sang. I didn't actually see it myself, but I gather she sang a particular song. And if you, if you were there, you listened to it, you'll know that part of her song, she sang out of tune. 
Now, that may be a number of reasons, so I'm not blaming her. But if you then, the next two, week, two days later, if you'd gone on her YouTube channel, where there was a recording of her song that she sang at the Eurovision Song Contest, it was perfectly in tune. They had this amazing way of changing your singing. I'm going to get one of those machines, I've decided. I'd love one of those. So I could sing and everything would be in tune. I said that last week at Mosley and they thought I was referring to the band. I had to write an email and say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean you, I meant me. So <laughs> I've cleared that up, haven't I? Yes. And <laughs> anyway, um, if, because Madonna, because we know that change took place, we have to assume it took place because somebody, and presumably Madonna, admitted that it was out of tune. Pride is the great barrier to confession. If she had said, no, 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 it wasn't out of tune, they'd never have changed it. But because somebody said, yes, it was out of tune, they changed it, they made, they made the alteration. So as soon as we're able to say, yes, there's something wrong in my life, I've done something wrong, there's the possibility not only of forgiveness, but there's possibility of cleansing. That means I'm now whole again and I can walk in the light. So I can be free every day to know that actually my life is clean before God because he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So that's really what we've already dealt with. But just to underline again, this is what it means. It means to say the same thing again. That which is inside comes out, and when it comes out, the inside is made clean. It's a fantastic gift to us if we have the courage to take it. But it is bad for the reputation. And then here in this book of uh, James, uh, James implies this fact that confession also not only leads to forgiveness and cleansing, but it can lead to healing. We can be healed through confession. This is quite a difficult passage, actually. It reads very simply, but the problem is some of the words can mean different things. So the word, we, the, the word for sozo sometimes is translated healing, sometimes it's translated salvation. So it's a bit varied. That's why I like this passage, this way, because he's done all the work. He's done all the study. And this is his conclusion. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. So if you want to live a whole and healed life, then confession needs to be a practice in your life, a part of your life. Now, James is writing his epistle primarily because he's concerned about the half-heartedness of Christians. That many Christians started out okay, but then they start to live sort of compromised lives. They say they're a Christian, but they're living differently. So at the end of his letter, he sort of summarizes the letter by saying this. At the end of uh, chapter 5, he says this. Uh, my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So that's James's real concern. I want to bring people back who have wandered off away from the faith and, and living half-hearted Christian lives. And James here seems to imply not only that we confess our sins because we want to be forgiven and that we want to be made clean, but he says actually we want also to be made whole and we want to be made healed. So he relates sinfulness with sickness and healing with confession. Be interesting to, to study to find out what, what else, how does the New Testament generally talk about these things? Is there a relationship between sickness and sinfulness? Interesting, in John chapter 9, where Jesus heals the man born blind, if you remember that story, um, the disciples say to him, uh, was it this man's sin or his parents' sin that caused him to be born blind? 
Now, obviously, in the Jewish way of thinking, there was a relationship, a direct relationship, that if you sinned, you became sick. So if you were well, you probably weren't a sinful person. But Jesus says, it wasn't because of this man's sin or his parents' sin. It was purely for the glory of God, so that a miracle take place. And yet later on, Jesus heals a man uh, by the uh, Paul of Siloam. There's a whole lot of sick people there, and Jesus heals one of them. And he comes across that person later on in the day, and he says, I'm so glad to see you looking so good. Go away and sin no more, lest something worse befall you. Oh, there's a relationship here between the way the man was living and what the possible disease or sickness was that he had. In, in, a, in the book of Corinthians, Paul writes to the Christians about communion. He says, some of you have got sick because you took communion in a way that you shouldn't have taken it. In other words, you, you, there was something wrong in your life. So, it would appear from the New Testament, generally the teaching seems to be that uh, sickness is not a punishment for sin. For goodness sakes, if it was, we'd all be sick. Isn't that right? but it may be the consequences of sin. Because sickness is a very complicated thing. If you're in the medical profession, you know that. If you fall over and break your arm, it's fairly simple. You fell over and you broke your arm. But many diseases that people have may well have a psychological, a mental, a spiritual source to them because we're, all, we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. So if one part goes awry, everything might go awry. And sickness is part of our world that we live in, part of the fallen creation that we're part of. And you and I know that it's quite likely that if you're full of anger, resentment, bitterness, it will somehow show in your physical body. You know that if you live a sexually permissive life, it's possible you might have sexually transmitted diseases. There's a consequence of the way that you live. We know that if we're highly stressed, we may well have ulcers in our stomach. So somehow the way our behavior, our pattern of life, can affect sickness in our body. So there is a relationship within those two things. Sometimes sickness alerts you to something else going on that you need to deal with. Um, I remember many years ago, I went um, on to a conference for pastors in, uh, near Cheshire, and in Cheshire, in sort of um, uh, up that way anyway. And at the interval between two of the sessions, I was sitting on the stairs, and a guy came up to me and said, you don't know me, but I came to a session you did at Spring Harvest many years ago on relationships. And in that talk, you said that if anybody is bitter and twisted and angry and all that sort of stuff, it's quite possible because they could develop arthritis. Uh, a bit of a sweeping statement, actually, but I apparently said it. And um, he said that, when you said that, I thought to myself, I've got my grandmother has got terrible arthritis. So she's probably bitter and twisted and angry about something. So he said, I went to see my grandmother, and I said to her, I've just heard a man speak, and he said that if you've got arthritis, it's quite possible that you're all bitter and twisted. And you're angry. And she began to cry. And she said, I am. I am very, very angry uh, about something that happened many, many years ago Somebody hurt me very badly, and I've never been able to forgive them. And this young man led his grandmother in a prayer of forgiveness. He, learned, he saw his grandmother only two weeks before she died, and she said to him, do you remember that time you came and prayed with me? And he said, yes. She said, my arthritis never got any better, but these have been the best years of my life. She was healed, but not in the physical sense, because of something that was going on inside her, emotionally, 
because she was willing to confess it out that something was going on in her life. Just a year and a half ago, I contracted, I discovered in, in the January of last year, I contracted rheumatoid arthritis. And I was very bad. I'm much better at the moment, but I was very bad at the time. And I immediately thought of that. I thought, I need, I may not have done anything, but I just need to, I need to reflect on this. Is there something in my life that could have exposed me to this? And prior to Christmas, I had been at some meetings and, and an individual that I know quite well had really got to me. I was very upset. I was very angry with him. And I carried it over several weeks. So I thought to myself, there's something wrong there. Maybe that's the cause of what's going on. And I was deeply repentant about my attitude. I still think he was wrong, but that was not, that's not the issue. The issue is how I responded to it. And since that time, I've been able to look him in the eyes because I know I have forgiven him for the way that he behaved. I don't think it's made a great deal of difference to me physically, but boy, it has changed me internally. It's made me acutely aware of the fact that I want to make sure I deal with these issues as quickly as possible. So there is a relationship. So he says, James says, do two things. First, if you're sick, call for the elders of the church and they will anoint you with oil and pray over you and their prayer could well be the source of healing for you. I wonder why that should happen. I wonder whether it isn't because the elders of the church very often can come and discern what's going on in your life. And they may question you. What's happening? Why is this happening in you? Is it just, just a sickness? You fell on your arm and broke it? Or is something else going on in your heart? My dad, who was a GP, used to say, unless you visited somebody in their home, you could not really understand why they were sick. Well, it's not always the case, but to understand the breadth of their life. But sometimes elders can do that. In all the years that Lois and I led Riverside, I have to say, I can count almost on, palm, on the fingers of one hand the number of people who were sick and called for the elders of the church. Isn't it crazy? Here it is. You, if you were sick, wouldn't that the first thing you'd do? My goodness me, there's a, there's a scripture here that says I could get healed. What do I have to do? Get a call for the elders of the church. Guys, can you come and pray for me? Or at a meeting after the church or whatever. Get people to pray for you. It's the first thing to do. If it doesn't work, hey-ho, you haven't lost anything, but it might well do, especially if they anoint you with oil and pray in faith. That's the first thing. And that is the leaders of the church, people in authority in some way or other. Secondly, in the family of God, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. So there's a, there's a place for confession to one another. In a way, the Catholics were there before us because they get a little cabin out and put the priest in one side and somebody else on the other, and they, they open their hearts out. But the New Testament says we can do that with one another. We don't need to have a priest, as it were. We don't need to have a confessional box. We just have to have people with whom we can do it. And obviously, if you've offended somebody and you know that's the sin you've committed, it, the good thing to do is to go to that person and say, I'm sorry, I offended you. I shouldn't have said that. I said the wrong thing. Please forgive me. But it may not, maybe you can't do that. But if you're willing to confess to others, there's the possibility not only of forgiveness, but of wholeness and a healing. Therefore, it requires in our lives as Christians to have people around us, friends, I don't know who they might be, with whom you feel secure and safe to share the things that you've done wrong with them. That's a particular group of people. Uh, I've, uh, let me just give you, uh, I wrote down some time ago an ac acrostic for friendship. And these five things, six things are really important. F, this person that you share with, these people need to be for you, on your side, not against you, not looking for an opportunity to say, I knew you were a rum deal anyway. They're on your side, they're with you, because they know that they are fellow sinners with you. 
Secondly, it's a reciprocal arrangement. that You share with them, they share with you. So you know you're both pretty rotten. Thirdly, it's intimate because you're going to share something pretty deep inside and you'll be pretty careful to do that if you're not sure about them. The E in friendship is for enduring. This is a relationship that lasts. It's not a quick relationship. It needs to go on over a long period of time. The N in friendship is for non-judgmental. The last thing you want is to share something that's happened in your life, something you've done, and for the person you're sharing with to go, I would never have believed that of you. That is the last thing you want to hear from somebody. It's a deep, intimate, non-judgmental thing. And lastly, it's discreet. It's discreet, people who are going to be confidential. Don't do it with a newspaper reporter in the room. Do not do it. If you're a politician today, do not do it. Find people with whom you feel absolutely safe. So these are the things that, 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 that in, in our list. Where are you going to find those people? It may not be in your small group. It may be you have to find a group of two or three friends and say, do you mind if, if we have that sort of relationship? Because I need a safe place. I, I meet with a group of guys that I've met with for 35 years, three or four times a year. And that's a level of our relationship. So if there's something going on in my life, I'm willing to talk, mainly because they will ask me the question. I don't know if you know much about the Wesleyan revival back in 1700 and something or other, uh, where large numbers of people came to Christ, and, and maybe mainly poor people through the preaching of Wesley and Whitfield. And most of those people came because of the preaching that, that caused a response in them of repentance. That was the mark of their, their revival. They suddenly were aware of their sinfulness and they needed forgiveness. Not quite so true today. And then Wesley put them into small groups, like home groups. And if you look at some of the instructions, this is one list of instructions for the small group. This is a small group agenda in the days of Wesley. Questions. Um, am I honest in all my acts, words, or do I exaggerate? Do I confidentially pass on to others what was told to me in confidence? Am I a slave to dress, uh, work, or friends? What temptations have I met this week? What known sins have you committed since our last meeting? What have you thought, said, or done of which you, uh, which you doubt whether it was a sin or not? What have you got, or have you nothing you desire to keep secret? These are very personal questions. You ask those in your house group. I don't know that people will be turning up again. I'm going to ask that level of question. But these people really wanted to make sure they were walking in the light. It was very clear. They were open with each other. Since the last time we met, I saw a girl in the street and I really got turned on by her and I, you know, oh, I was attracted to her. I just want to confess that to my brothers and sisters here. I lied to somebody the other day. I told an untruth. Somebody asked me about something and I said something that wasn't true. Wow, as soon as you get that stuff out, in a non-condemnatory place, place, there's a place of great freedom and healing. And that's what these Christians back in the 18th century discovered. Maybe we need to find more of it but maybe to find one or two people that you can do that with. And then lastly, to, to finish, say this. There's fantastic effects when we are able to be open and honest, not only to walk in the light and discover forgiveness, but here's no, here are five things to finish with. Oh, don't put them up yet, because I, 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 otherwise people get too excited. They see them all. and They, they all begin with our first is restitution, restoration. When you are part of a group and I share, say I'm just talking to Harry and I say, Harry, I want to share this with you. Uh, I've really been unkind to certain, sir. Harry's likely to say to me, look, Nick, we can pray about this, but I think you should go and get that sorted out with that person. 
That's the great thing about confession is that you will get some sort of restitution. You'll get restoring of relationship because you will have to go to that person and say, look, I, I'm really sorry I behaved that way. Sometimes it's not appropriate, but very often it is. Secondly, you find a release. Wow, I'm so great to got that off my chest. I feel so good that I've now, I'm free. Because I'm not carrying it around like a burden all the time. I've got rid of it. I've set, let my... I've let my feather go. By the way, the problem with those feathers is they're so jolly nice. I don't want to throw mine away. But isn't that like sin, you see? You don't want to get rid of it. Because it's actually rather nice. I rather like feeling angry with that person because they're so horrible. Okay. But you've got to get rid of it. The third thing is the resolve. Now, if Harry and I are meeting, and I know that every time Harry and I meet, I'm going to have to tell him some of the things I've been up to, I'm going to be sharpen up on my life a bit because I'd like to cut down the number of stuff I have to tell Harry about. So there's a new resolve in your life to live holy because you know it's not something you're just going to contain for yourself. There'll come a point actually where you want to share it with others. And so you resolve, actually I'm going to, be, I, I'm going to do my best not to behave like that and keep very short accounts. Fourth is the relationship because if I'm praying with Harry about these things, he's praying with me. There will be a deepening of our relationship. Because we'll get to a far greater depth than just talking about football or some other thing going on. We'll get, something, we'll get down to some nitty-gritty of what it means to be human in this world and how it is to know God. And then fifthly, and most extraordinarily, it brings us to a place of day-by-day -day living of righteousness. We're living right with God because we're always confessing, letting it go, receiving his forgiveness and cleansing. And here's the exciting thing. James says, the fervent effectual prayer of a righteous man or woman has great power in its effect. That when you're walking that way, when you pray, boom, amazing things can happen. Elijah stopped the rain. And Elijah prayed and it rained again. Great prophetic outburst. And the prayer is so powerful out of people who are walking in the light with God and with one another. We want our prayers to be really effective. We want to turn up on Monday night to pray. How great if everybody is there and they know that have come with a sense of confession before God. We're clean. We're clean vessels and right with him. So, to finish, uh, James says this, make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. And that's how all of us uh, want to live. It brings us to a place of learning and being able to say, I am sorry. I was wrong. I fouled it up. Please forgive me. God, will you forgive me? Others, will you forgive me? I want to get up and walk again. I write this to you, little children, that you do not sin. But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If we say we have no sin... We are utterly deceived and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What an amazing God. People in the world today whose lives are filled with a sense of failure and guilt cannot possibly admit to wrong because they don't know what will happen to that admission. The Christian has this huge advantage that we can throw our feather in the air and it will flow away because God has said he will forgive. So we can deal with it and we can be free. And we live in a world today that doesn't want to talk about guilt, it doesn't want to talk about sin because we don't know what to do with it. We, we can't cope with it. 
but the Christian can because they know we know there's a place to take it. And there may be some here this morning who have been, who're not even Christians yet, haven't found that amazing sense of forgiveness in your heart to wake up in the morning and to know they're absolutely clean because God has made me clean. If that's not been your experience yet, even this morning, you can have the opportunity to pray and find the forgiveness of God. But there may be some of us who have been carrying burdens of guilt, of things we've been doing, attitudes we've been carrying for a very, very long time. And maybe even today, in a, just almost just in a prayer. But if there is, good to go. and have people pray for you. Just so that you can just say, Look, I want to get this off my chest. I want to get it out of my life. And receive the forgiveness that there is from God.